Uh, Let's pray together as we come to this part of God's word. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, as imagine we come to church this day, many different things on our minds, maybe things we're thankful for, maybe burdens that weigh us down. Please, by your spirit, help us to have clear minds that can hear and understand your word. Please change our thinking by it. Change our hearts by it. That we might respond to Jesus with love and faith. Empower me by your spirit to preach faithfully and clearly. Apply your word helpfully to all of us. Do a work of grace in us, we pray, for the glory of your Son, in whose name we ask these things. Amen. What are you passionate about? I don't know what it is. Maybe you're passionate about your work or business, or maybe it's fishing or riding. Maybe it's shoe shopping, Netflix binging. I don't know. Or maybe it's your family. Whatever we're passionate about and devoted to, it usually takes up significant time and energy and money. I wonder, though, are you passionate about Jesus? Why should you be? And what does, what does it look like if you are? That's what we're thinking about today. As we begin Matthew 26, we start the next big section of the last big section of the book of Matthew. It's really the, the pinnacle of Matthew's gospel. And we move from thinking about the return of the king and the judgment that will come on everyone in the world at, when he comes So now we're focusing on the judgment that is going to come on Jesus. As we heard last week, the judge is about to be judged. Since chapter 24, verse 2, Jesus had been teaching his disciples on the Mount of Olives and now he draws attention to his coming crucifixion. And our passage today has three sections and it starts and ends with people wanting to kill Jesus. And the anointing is sandwiched in the middle. Matthew's method of writing here wants, is wanting to highlight for us a choice that we all have to make about Jesus. How will we respond to him? Our passage today is filled with many words starting with P. So maybe kids, teenagers, you might like to listen out for all the P words. There'll be too many to count, so don't bother counting. But I'm going to have three points today. And the second is the longest. My first point is the Passover and the plan. Look at verse 2. Just a couple of days before the Passover. Remember, that's the great Jewish feast which celebrates Israel's deliverance from slavery in Egypt. Remember, a lamb was sacrificed. Its blood was put on the doorposts, as Exodus 12 teaches. The sacrifice led to freedom, and that's exactly what will happen with Jesus' sacrifice too. We're told he's the son of man. That's how he describes himself. He's the God-man who will rule over God's kingdom forever. But he's also the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It will be achieved by him being killed on a cross. You see, the Jewish leaders, we're told the chief priests, the elders, they planned to arrest and kill Jesus. But they wanted to do it deceitfully treacherously, not in front of the many people who follow Jesus and in case they riot, 
Remember, just a few days before, he'd entered the city on a donkey and the crowds praised him. So the, the priests want Jesus dead and they plan to kill him. But please understand that this is actually Jesus' plan, which is the Father's plan. He has predicted his death coming soon multiple times, chapter 16, chapter 17, chapter 20. And now for the fourth time in chapter 26, he's predicting, prophesying his own death. He knows it's coming. He's choosing that path. And so the Jewish leaders, they think it's their plan. Really, it's God's plan. Jesus is in control throughout. Point two is the passion, or the perfume, the passion and the preparation. While Jesus was in Bethany, the house of Simon the leper, verse 6, a woman approached him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. She poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. It is likely that this is the same event as in John chapter 12, when six days before the Passover, Jesus visited the home where Lazarus was and Mary anointed Jesus' feet with very expensive perfume. If, the, if they are describing the same event, Matthew's account isn't chronological, and that's okay. There's still no contradictions. It's not the same event, however, as in Luke chapter 7, early in Jesus' ministry, when a sinful woman washes Jesus' feet with her tears and anoints them with perfume. In Matthew 26, a woman approaches Jesus with this alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Alabaster is a fine, textured, white gypsum stone, like those on the screen. This perfume was likely the woman's inheritance. It was likely a family heirloom even, or or a life savings. Surely it was the most expensive thing she had. She poured it on Jesus' head as he reclined at the table. This precious perfume is poured out on Jesus. And if this is the same event as in John chapter 12, there's clearly enough to pour it on his feet too. It's a sign of her grateful love, her devotion, her passion for Jesus. She is saying that Jesus is worth all that she has. It's moving. It's magnificent. Now in Luke chapter 7, verse 46, we're told there that oil was often given to guests when they came to your home to anoint their head. But this woman goes above and beyond that, doesn't she? And I suggest that she's anointing the king, as it were. Maybe this woman knew that Jesus was the Messiah. She knew who he was and what he was worth, worth her all. But the disciples are angry, verse 8. They think that pouring out the perfume on Jesus was a waste. It could have been sold for a huge amount and given to the poor. Now, John chapter 12 tells us Judas Iscariot says, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? 300 denarii was 300 days' wages. Maybe we could compare that to $30,000. Now, I searched this last week for the most expensive perfume, and Google told me that Clive Christian's number one perfume is called Imperial Majesty. 
was named the world's most expensive perfume by the Guinness Book of World Records in 2006. It was priced at $2,300 for 30 mils. A splurge that included the, the bottle being delivered in a Bentley. Or a, another expensive perfume, a bottle of DKNY's Golden Delicious. The bottle had 2,700 diamonds on it. Sold at a charity auction, charity auction in 2011 for a million dollars. Imagine that. Imagine you had that. Or you had 30,000 in the bank, 30 grand. You just gave it all to Jesus. This woman pours out her $30,000 on Jesus. Disciples are angry about it. They think it's a waste. But Jesus accepts it, doesn't he? He accepts the gift, the, the passionate devotion, and more than that, he defends her. Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a noble thing for me. And this can be translated, why are you giving her trouble? She's done a good thing for me. Beautiful thing. A praiseworthy thing. Another P word. Her perfume is poured out on Jesus in passionate devotion and it's praiseworthy. The disciples are focusing on the cost of the gift and not the worth of the one it was given to. Jesus goes on to say, verse 11, you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now, Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't care about or give to the poor. Jesus was poor. And yet this is a, a unique moment in history and Jesus is not going to be physically present with them much longer. And he is saying, you can do good for the poor anytime. Now it is right to do this. God cares about the poor. He wants his people to care about them too. In Ephesians 4 verse 28, we're told that we're to work so that we may have something to share with anyone in need. And yet, as Neil said last week, we are to care especially for poor believers. In James chapter 2, we read, don't we, if a brother or sister is without clothes or lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, be well fed, but you don't give what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, Faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. And so we give. It's going to motivate this. We give ultimately because Jesus was rich and yet for our sakes he became poor so that we, through his poverty, might become rich, eternally rich, spiritually rich, forever rich. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. Coming back to our passage, Jesus also says in verse 12, by pouring this perfume on my body, she prepared me for burial. Now, normally bodies would be anointed after death. But Jesus is saying that this woman did it beforehand. Was she aware that she was doing it for that reason? We're not sure. We're not told. Maybe. Remember, Jesus had repeatedly told his disciples that he would be betrayed and handed over and crucified and die and then rise on the third day. Maybe Mary was listening when all the disciples didn't. Men often, or at least I, have trouble listening sometimes. 
Miss Kirsty, my wife, says so. Maybe she was listening. Jesus proceeds to say, truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. This woman will be remembered wherever the gospel is proclaimed. It's being proclaimed now in Bandura, Melbourne, 13,000 odd kilometres from Jerusalem, 2,000 years after it happens. What Jesus said would happen is still coming true. The gospel, that good news that Jesus is king, the message of his rule, his dying, his rising, his coming return, is being proclaimed in all the worlds. It's being proclaimed to you today. And I ask, do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus is king? the anointed Messiah who rules the world and who deserves to have us submit to him, trust him, love him. And we love him because he first loved us. He came, suffered and died for us to give us peace with God, a place in God's presence forever. More P words. The perfume was poured out in passionate devotion to prepare Jesus for burial and his death will be proclaimed in all the worlds. Believe it. I said earlier we had to care about the poor but be passionate about Jesus. Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, that we're to love him more than our family. By that he means more than anyone but love him more than anyone. And so how do we show our love and passionate devotion to Jesus today? I mean, he isn't here to pour perfume on. Back in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said that our sinful attitudes and actions, they come from the heart. He also said where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. My point is, this woman showed passion and devotion and extravagant generosity to Jesus because she loved him in her heart. Likewise, our love for Jesus must begin in the heart, not be fake actions on the outside. And yet there is a problem. We struggle to do this, don't we? Timothy Keller says in his book, Counterfeit Gods, he talks about it being hard for us because we love other things so often. He says, we're lovers of money who find ourselves daydreaming, fantasizing about new ways to make money, new possessions to buy, and looking with jealousy on those who have more than we do. Or we're trusters of money, feeling we have control of our lives and are safe and secure because of our wealth. Oh, we want that. Most of us at some point in our lives or often have been greedy. And we've all failed to love God with our all and obey what he says. If you look at the last verse of chapter 25, it should remind us that what we deserve is actually eternal punishment. And we should feel the weight of that. 
But then, Christian, lift your eyes. You're not a Christian. Feel the weight of your sin, but then lift your eyes to see Christ, your saviour, your sacrifice, and light and love and joy will flood into your heart, flood into view. So bring your failure to him and see his grace. Keep coming back to the Lord Jesus. You see, the gospel is the cure to our selfish, greedy hearts. Has your heart been changed by his sacrificial love for you? Do you believe that he died taking your punishment, your judgment? By trusting in Jesus, do you know that he has saved you? If you do, then do you know that nothing in all creation, however high or wide or long or deep, will be able to separate you from God's love in Christ Jesus? And if you do know that, and we can know that because of the gospel, if we do know his love for us, that he has saved us, then we will love him back and want to love him back with passion and devotion, commitment, our all. And this is going to be seen in every aspect of life, including your money. It's implied in the passage. We love him back with our money. I mean, it's implied because of the cost of the perfume that's mentioned, the, the short conversation about giving the money to the poor, and then also reflecting on what it costs for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. And so in devotion to Christ, we give to the poor, especially poor Christians, as God commands. As we heard last week, when we do this, we do it for Jesus. But more so, can I suggest that we should give to the gospel poor? Verse 13. You see, people need saving not just from starvation, but from an eternity in hell. What people need most is Jesus. And so we give to his mission, to the cause of the gospel. We give to work happening locally and nationally and globally. And so I ask, are you giving to those things willingly, cheerfully? Do you give to your local church? Gospel work here. Do you give to and partner with people taking the gospel to other Australians, whether they're serving with AFES, Presbyterian Inland Mission, or seeking to reach Indigenous Australians? Do you partner with anyone taking the gospel to the peoples of the world? Whether you're eight years old, 18 or 80, or somewhere in between, we can give and now do it out of love whether you're giving $2 or $2,000. You see, it's not about the amounts. It's about your hearts. Now, I know that with interest rates and costs of living rising, that it can be really hard. And some of us, I know, are looking for work. Some have had to go back to work or work more just to be able to cover costs. 
But I also want to say that as we deny ourselves certain pleasures so we can keep giving to the gospel, it actually shows a trust in God. And it can express our devotion for the Lord Jesus. If you can't give much, that is okay. But I ask, how does God want you to respond? I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And Paul speaking of the Macedonians who gave out of their extreme poverty. They were poor. And yet it still welled up in a wealth of generosity to others. And so maybe you could start by praying. Pray for a greater love and devotion for Christ in your hearts. Pray that your love for the Lord and others will be seen, even in how you spend your money, not to be seen, but it would be shown and expressed. And so others doing this, so others can be saved by Jesus Christ too. Know it will be worth it. Jesus said in chapter 19 that everyone who's given up houses, family, fields for me will receive more in this life, in the age to come, eternal life. So Jesus must matter more than our money and possessions. And yet we also love him by how we use and spend and give our, give them away. I ask, is that true in your life? Devotion to Jesus, though, it's also seen in other ways, isn't it? How, like how we use our energy, our time, our, our gifts. Are you serving your family or those who depend on you? I ask too, how are you going at serving your church family here out of love for them? Are you self-focused or instead looking for specific ways to support and serve, care and encourage even when you're busy, even when you're tired? Does God want you to share the gospel with someone? Your next door neighbour, your work colleague or your fellow student at school or uni or by going overseas to another, or to another part of this vast land. You see, we, we open our pockets, we proclaim his message, his priorities become our priorities because we love Jesus, the one who's first loved us, by giving his all. Words like love the Lord with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, go into all the world and make disciples, take up your cross and follow me. I mean, wow, these are not cute little assignments where we just tick the box and it's done, is it? These words are things to put on our face, words that make us say, God, I need you. Words that explode our little just do enough to get by. Christianity, just do enough to get by Christianity, blows it to pieces. These words make us, they should make us reach for greatness. Look at the cross. Jesus didn't give 10%. Gave his all. God's love for you, knowing God's love for you will produce more activity in your life for the kingdom 
than all the checkboxes in the world. We need to reflect on, marinate on Christ's loving sacrifice for us. That's what will change us. Remember how the anointing is sandwiched between two groups who are intent on deception and murder. We come now to that second group. And our last point, briefly, the payoff. So Jesus has been prepared for burial with super expensive perfume poured out on him. Verse 8, the disciples were angry and grumbled that the money wasn't, uh, grumbled about the money and the item not being sold and given to the poor. John chapter 12 gives us a bit more information though. He says Judas didn't say this. He was one of the chief ones grumbling. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and Judas would steal part of what was put in it. Why did Judas betray Jesus? We're not sure. We are told he had a money problem. He must have also been disappointed with Jesus in some way. And so after Jesus' anointing, Judas goes to the chief priests and asks what they're willing to give him if he'll give Jesus over to them. And the priests weigh out 30 pieces of silver. It's actually a pitiful sum, maybe equivalent to about $30. You see, 30 silver coins has important Old Testament background. In Zechariah 11, it's the amount God's shepherd is given for shepherding the flock. But also, as we read earlier in Exodus 21, it's the amount you'd pay for a slave if your ox killed a neighbor's slave. But you see, the slave price had remained 30 silver coins over centuries, and so, of course, what that was worth decreased in value over time. The point is, Jesus was betrayed and handed over for the price of a slave. He was betrayed by Judas voluntarily, sneakily, greedily, and for a pittance. What is Jesus worth? Not much to the priests. Not much to Judas. What is he worth to you? I wonder what it is you're passionate about and you love doing. I don't know what you thought of at the start. Maybe it's your ideal Saturday is spent relaxing in front of a TV, going shopping with your friends or getting lost in a book or eating a meal with loved ones. Whatever it is, let's know that Mary gave what was most surely most precious and expensive to her, to Jesus, because she loved him passionately in her heart. And I'm sure that was because she knew she was loved by him. John Piper, in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, and I'll finish with this, he speaks of the 1,500 mostly teenage boys from one battalion who were killed in the battle for Iwo Jima in Japan, 1945. He says of the 1,688 young men who went to Iwo Jima, only 177 walked off the island. Piper said, I'm deeply moved by the courage and carnage 
on Iwo Jima. As I read the pages of this history, everything in me cries out, Oh Lord, don't let me waste my life. Let me come to the end, whether soon or late, and be able to say to a family, a church, a city, and the unreached peoples of the earth, for your tomorrow I gave my today. Not just for your tomorrow on earth, but for countless tomorrows of ever-increasing gladness in God. I felt a passion that my life would count. I groan over the petty pursuits that waste so many lives and so much of mine. Piper lists sports, resources for making your home and garden more comfortable and impressive, a more expensive car than you need, time and energy and conversations that go into entertainment and leisure and fun stuff. Or he says, think of the clothes and what a tragedy that so many young people are obsessed with what they wear and how they look. Christian youth seem powerless to ask greater questions than what's wrong with this. Like, will these clothes help me magnify Christ or point other people to him as the treasure of my life? Piper tells of the couple in 1988-1998 who retired early to live in Florida, to cruise around on their boats and play sports and collect shells. And, now, and he says, can you picture them before Christ on the day of judgment, saying, look, Lord, at all my shells. Our Lord Jesus is magnificent. He has loved us, died for us, So be devoted to him with your all, your money and your life. Let us pray. Father God, we confess the smallness of our vision. So easily we're satisfied making mud pies in a slum. And we forget the satisfaction and security, significance and joy and love and life that there is in the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Turn our hearts away from these counterfeit gods and idols that will never satisfy. May we come again to Jesus in trust and repentance, giving him our all. Father God, we pray that you might help us to be struck again the love of Christ and to grow in our understanding of his great love for us. Height and width and length and depth. Pray, Father God, that you might move us to love you. Love our Lord Jesus, love others in response. It's so worth it. And Jesus is so good and he's so worth giving our lives to. So may we not waste our lives but live them for him who has loved us and given himself for us. Amen.